0: Amen. Lord, we do. We thank you and praise you that the relationship, Lord, that we have with you has only just begun. Lord, it's a relationship we're going to have forever and ever. Lord, our desire is to know you better and better every day because to know you is to love you. You are worthy to be worshiped, to be praised, to be honored. Lord, I pray as we go to your word right now that you would be our teacher, that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. Lord, every person who's here this morning is here by divine appointment. Nothing happens by chance in your kingdom. So, Father, we pray that you'd minister to every heart. Let us hear what you would say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It is great to have you here. My prayer is that you would feel welcomed and loved. If it's your first time here, Calvary Chapel, we don't have membership. You show up. You know God. You're a part of the family. Amen? You show up, you don't know God, you can know Him before you leave here today. Amen? Amen. All right. one announcement real quick. I do want to mention the fundamentals class. Let me encourage you. You might think, well, I've been a Christian for a while, or whatever it might be, but the foundational truths of the Christian faith are things we can all be reminded of over and over again. And if you haven't thought about it, let me encourage you. It starts next week, it'll be right after church. I think 12 to 1, meeting right here in the library. So pray about getting involved in that. You'll be blessed. Secondly, be praying for our college group. You'll notice quite a few folks missing this morning. I think we have a group of about 50 or 60 or so that are up uh, at Lake Tahoe having a retreat for the college-age kids. Pastor Nate Holdridge from Calvary Monterey is teaching them. And so be in prayer for them that they'll come back refreshed and strengthened in their faith. All right, that being said, now... Calvary Chapel, again, if you're new, we started in Matthew chapter 1 when we started the church on Sunday mornings, and we started in Genesis chapter 1 on Wednesday nights, and we just go chapter by chapter, book by book, right through the Bible. Now last week we finished 1 Timothy, and usually this morning we would start 2 Timothy. And as we are being led by the Lord and being sensitive to prayer, this morning as I was finishing up the message on 2 Timothy chapter 1, I really felt like the Lord was putting on my heart to teach where we are on Wednesday night in the Old Testament for one week. Uh, We're going to look at the chapter we looked at on Wednesday night. We looked at half of it. We're going to look at the entire chapter this morning. And the reason is I believe that it is a message that we all need to hear within this body. And you know what? Let me encourage you too. May it wet your appetite to come on Wednesday nights because the Old Testament rocks. Amen? Amen. Every page you see Jesus is you're going to see This morning, So go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2. We will pick up in the New Testament again next week in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Encourage you to read ahead for next Sunday. It's a great chapter. It's a powerful chapter. As Paul's sitting in prison, his days are numbered. It's kind of his last will and testament. 2 Timothy was the last letter he wrote. And there's some powerful exhortations for every one of us in that text. So let me encourage you to read ahead. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 2, and again, if you were here on Wednesday, forgive your pastor because the first half of this message is going to be what we looked at on Wednesday night. The Lord willing, we will finish the entire chapter. Now, I want to give you some background real quick, give you the context, help you understand where we are in 1 Samuel. Last, in the first chapter, we saw how God can use the difficulties and trials of life to prepare us to be used by God. In chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, a woman by the name of Hannah was barren and unable to have children. You've got to understand that in those days, that was considered a curse. God is the one who opens and closes the womb. That's still true today. And in those days, that was considered a curse if you were unable to have children. Now, we know today that God is in control. And if God wants us to have kids, we will. And if He doesn't, it's, it's for His highest and His best. And we must learn to trust Him. Amen? God is a faithful God. Now at the same time, to make matters worse, going through this difficulty, her husband Elkanah went out, and because his wife, my my personal belief is that when his wife could not have children, though he loved her, he wanted a family, so he did what all godly men would do, right? He went out and got another wife. Now I'm, I'm kidding. Don't do that. Amen? He went out and got another wife. Her name was Penina. Now Penina started having children, and she had many children. How many we don't know, but it says she had sons and daughters, so at least four kids and probably more than that. And all the while, here's Hannah not only having to, you know, go through the grief of un- being unable to have children, but watching her own husband having children with another woman and living in the same house. I can't even imagine. Now, what's even more difficult about this is that Penina would also mock Hannah for her lack of ability to have children. And what a wonderful life Hannah's living. And again, her husband then comes to her. At time of sacrifice, they would go up and she would come before the Lord and cry out to God because she so desired to have children. And as she would cry out to the Lord, her husband came to her and said, aren't I better to you than ten sons? <laughs> Wrong answer, husbands. Don't do that. When your wife is grieving or struggling, just put your arm around her and love her. Don't tell her how wonderful and blessed she is to have you, amen? (laughs) And so here's poor Hannah, and Hannah is coming to the place where God can use her. She becomes desperate before the Lord. She's praying, and as she prays, Eli, the high priest, sees her praying. And this is a picture, sadly, of what was going on in Israel at the time, because her fervent prayer was mistaken by Eli as drunkenness. Now, you know that there's not a lot of fervent prayer going on if when someone does pray, people think they're drunk. Now, this is not the first time you see this, because in Acts, they're praying and they're worshiping and they're you know, singing of the wonderful works of God, and people thought they were drunk. In Acts chapter 1. Now, we know, again, in Acts chapter 2, we know again that when God is moving, sadly, in the midst of ungodly people, they will mistake it. And they'll miss out on the fact that God's hand is upon it. Everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes in Israel at this time. Hannah is there weeping before God. And you know what? Eli comes out. And as we're going to talk about him this morning, not the greatest guy in the world. A man, I believe, who did love God, but wasn't a very good dad. And we'll talk about that. But you know what? He sees her and says, oh, you know what? Go your way. God's going to answer your prayer. That's all she needed to hear. She believed it. She went home. And sure enough, she became pregnant with a child. And she had said when she was praying at the temp at the tabernacle she said Lord if you'll give me a son I'll give him to you I'll dedicate his life to you completely. See, what God had done is he had brought her to a place of desperation where she could be used by God because God was going to use Samuel to replace Eli's sons, to be the judge and the prophet and even the priest in Israel, the man that God would use in a mighty and a powerful way. But for him to be able to be used, he would have to be a part of the tabernacle and serving there as a very young child. But for him to serve there, he first had to have a mother whose heart was willing to give her child completely to God. That couldn't happen without the difficulties that she went through. So, chapter 1 was God's divine purpose for difficulty. Through the difficulties that she went through, God prepared her heart, made her desperate. God responded to her, and she dedicates her son to the Lord. She named him Samuel. Samuel means asked of God or heard of God. God heard my prayer. That's what she named him. Now, sometimes we make promises to God and then we renege on them. Anybody else ever done that besides me? You promise God something, then he gives it and you're like, well, maybe not so much. And that's what could have happened here. She finally had her child and she could have said, psych, God, I'm not giving it to you, you know, but that's not what happened. She weaned him. She did not go up to sacrifice until it was time to turn her little boy over. Now, as soon as she weaned him, that means he was very young. I'm not sure how old, two, three, four years old. Very young. And she brought him up and she gave him to Eli. Now, this is amazing because Eli's own sons were walking in wickedness. But yet she gave him to Eli anyway because she had promised God and she knew God's hand was on him. And the last thing they did together, as you said in the last verse in chapter 1, is they worshipped together as a family. And then after worshipping together as a family, that's where we pick up This morning, she had taken a Nazarite vow for her son. She had dedicated him to the service of the Lord. She had given him to Eli. And now we're going to contrast in this morning's chapter as we pick up the difference between a godly mom who prays and a a dad who's filled with compromise and complacency. And again, a a praying mom, God can use a praying mom in a mighty and a powerful way. And yet, at the same time, what a tragedy to see a complacent and a compromising dad. And so we're going to see that very clearly in this morning's text, and we're going to see the end result in the children that it produces. Now I want to say this before we move on. You can raise your kids in a godly home, in a godly way to honor the Lord, and they can still rebel against God because they have free will. And at the same time, children can be raised in an ungodly home, and they can choose to serve God because our God is a God of love and grace and mercy. Amen? But at the same time, God's calling for every one of us as Christian parents it's to raise our kids in a godly home. One of the reasons I wanted to share this this morning, I wanted our youth to be in here to hear this as well. Because it's a message not only for the parents and the grandparents, but for the kids to understand what God's calling is for their parents to raise them up in a godly home. So we will see a great more in the text tonight than issues on godly parenting, but I want that to be the focus. And I want us to see The impact that compromising parents can have and what godly parents can have on children. So if you're taking notes this morning, if you're not, you should be because you'll pay attention better. You tend not to nap when you're taking notes. You ever notice that? Are you napping right now? What's up? Now, raising godly children or raising godly kids in an ungodly world. That's the title of the message. Raising godly kids in an ungodly world. And I'm going to give you five points to raising godly kids in an ungodly world. Number one, we're going to see this being a praying parent. Be a praying parent. Raising them with an eternal perspective. Number two, teach your kids the true meaning of success. The true meaning of success is godly character, not worldly uh, success or worldly uh, acquisitions. Not getting stuff. It's about godly character not gaining stuff from this world, amen? Number three, keep rededicating your children to the Lord. You know, we, re- we dedicate them to the Lord as children, we need to keep dedicating them to the Lord every day, amen? Keep giving them to the Lord. Fourth, follow up your words with actions. Love your kids enough to discipline them. And then fifth, warn your children of the high cost of rebellion. That God's righteous judgment is both sure and unending. So let's pick up in verse 1. Raising godly kids in an ungodly world, being a praying parent, again, parent them with an eternal perspective. Now watch, we will learn a great deal first as we listen to Hannah pray. You know what, I love to hear people pray. I don't know about you. And I think you learn a great deal about people's hearts when they pray. Now listen to Hannah's response. Remember again in context, she's just given this son, her only son, that she's been praying for for many, many years, and she's been faithful and obedient to her vow before God to bring this son and give him to Eli. They've just worshipped together before the Lord, and now we're going to pick up and see Hannah's response. Verse 1, And Hannah prayed and said, Now Hannah had just left her son with eli and she could have gone away and had a really good cry right just giving up her little son you know how precious little children are you ever want to see the wrath of a mom mess with someone's child amen especially a two or three year old can you imagine oh i I have an idea that you know hulk hogan would be in trouble if he messed with someone's two-year-old right And here she is with her young child, and she freely gives him up. And again, this would be a time that she could easily be depressed and heartbroken. And instead, look at how she responds. She worships with her son, and now, after giving him to serve the Lord, she bursts into a prayer of praise. I love this. And this is an example for all of us. Look what it says My heart rejoices in the Lord. This reflects the heart with which she gave her son. She did not give him begrudgingly to the Lord. All right, Lord, if you have to take him, fine. I'm not real happy with you, but all right, you know? And you know what? God wants us to honor him. Honor means not only to obey, but to obey with the right attitude, amen? You know what? Our kids need to learn that, don't they? Stomping up the stairs to go put my clothes away. That's not honoring, amen? That might be obedience, but it's not honoring. And you know what, I love Hannah's heart here, that she's not stomping, but she's trusting. And she says, Lord, it's been a privilege to have this child, and I'm rejoicing in the Lord. Now, she's not rejoicing in the fact she gave her son away, she's rejoicing in the Lord. We don't rejoice in our circumstances, we rejoice in the Lord in the midst of our circumstances, amen? That God is faithful, that God is in control, that God's hand is upon us, that nothing happens by chance in the kingdom of God, and He's faithful. And so we see her rejoicing in the Lord at what could have been the most painful act she'd ever committed. Now, it was according to God's sovereign and eternal plan so she could rejoice. It's amazing to me throughout Scripture how we see the connection between suffering or sacrifice and praise. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles, And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also. Jesus sang a hymn with his disciples just before he went into the garden where he would be arrested. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas sang hymns to the Lord after they'd been humiliated and beaten. In Acts chapter 5, after being beaten by the religious leaders in Jerusalem, the apostles departed from the council rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Frequently in Psalms, we see David rejoicing in the midst of difficulty. How in the world is this possible? It's only possible if we have an eternal perspective. If we understand the grace and the sovereignty of God, if we trust that God is allowing these trials and difficulty for a reason, to conform us to His image and to bring glory to His name, and what's greater than that? What greater thing can happen in your life than to be conformed more into the image of the Son and to bring glory to the name of the Father. Nothing greater. And so Lord, having an eternal perspective helps me in the midst of trials to rejoice because I know that God is faithful. This present suffering is nothing to be compared with the glory that is to come. Hannah's eternal perspective allowed her not only to turn her son over to God, but to rejoice in knowing that God was going to use him in a mighty way. And all of this in the midst of a godless and rebellious people rejoicing in the Lord. I said this on Wednesday. It's sad, but it's I've heard this many times that one of the biggest stumbling blocks to missionary kids are Christian parents who want others to reach the the world reach the loss of the world, but don't take my children. Other people should go around the world and we should pray for them, but my kids need to live next door to my house so I can check on them every single day. And again, I understand that sentiment as parents, but they're not your kids. Ultimately, they're God's. Amen? Amen. And we need to give them to the Lord, and we need to trust that He knows what is best, and that is the heart that we see in Hannah as she gives her son completely to God, a great example for us to all follow. Then she says, my horn is exalted in the Lord. The word horn there means strength. My strength is exalted. Hannah rejoices in the strength God has given her to respond in faithful obedience to his vow. Pray that God would give you the strength to obey. That's a good prayer. Lord, help me to obey. You think God wants to answer that prayer? Every time. And I believe we need to come and say, Lord, help me. And may we pray for strength and thank God when He gives it to us. Then she says... I smile at my enemies. Now, I don't know for sure, but I have an idea. She's talking about her rival wife, Penina. That's what she's referred to in chapter 1, her rival. And Penina was always mocking her for being unable to have children. And how does she respond? She goes before God. God gives her a child, and now she just smiles at Penina. can imagine how that went over. Penina mocks her, and she just, hey, God's good. God's given me a child. You know, we don't overcome evil with evil, we overcome evil with good, amen? amen? A soft answer turns away wrath. And she smiles at her enemies, why? Because God is in control. God is faithful. You know, the world can't do anything to you unless God says so. You are indestructible, till so God is through with you. So we don't need to worry about what the enemies say or what the enemies do, we just need to keep our eyes on Jesus and trust in Him. And smile at the enemies and recognize that God can use our difficulty to reach even them. The cruelty and the ridicule had brought her low, but the hand of God had brought a smile to her face. She says, Because I rejoice in your salvation. She rejoices not only in her deliverance from the curse of barrenness in those days, but in context, the word salvation there, I mentioned this on Wednesday night, the word there is Yeshua. I love this. Because I rejoice in your Yeshua. Yeshua is the Hebrew word for what? Jesus. I rejoice. Now, this is the Old Testament, but Jesus is on every page, amen? And she rejoices in her salvation. You know what, guys? Eternal perspective will cause us to rejoice in our salvation no matter what our circumstances. Guys, this is a temporal life. It's all passing away, and the only thing that's going to matter is where we spend eternity and how God uses us while we're here. Guys, this stuff that we think is so important is not important at all in Light of eternity, and Hannah had come to grasp that she was rejoicing in her salvation. Guys, we need to rejoice more that we've been saved, amen. May that not grow common, you know. Often, I'll talk to people and they be bummed out, You're going to heaven, right? Yeah, going to heaven, yeah, been saved, yeah. Name's the Lamb, Book of Life, that's true, yeah. You don't understand what I'm going, you're saved, you're going to heaven, it doesn't get any better than that, amen. We should be rejoicing in that fact. In the midst of difficulty, her joy is in the Lord. Her strength comes from the Lord. She can smile at her enemies because her joy is in her salvation. She's going to heaven. Her Redeemer, she's been redeemed and she's looking forward to the coming Messiah. You and I are looking back. Verse 2. Notice again that praise and prayer helps bring perspective. And I want to encourage you. you're struggling, pray more. Get your eyes off of you and on him. And as you do, your struggles and trials will get in perspective. Then look at this. I love love when people pray when they talk about the attributes of God. We need to do that more. Instead of giving God a laundry list of stuff he should be doing for us, let's begin with praise when we pray. Amen? Now watch what she does. She says, no one is holy like the Lord. Amen. And no one in the original language means no one. So no one is holy like the Lord. The word holy there means set apart. And He is holy and set apart by God. He is the only true and living God. No gods before Him or after Him. Then she says, There is none besides you. Now this is, in, in Hebrew language, this is actually her using a form of poetry to say the same thing three different ways. She first says, No one is holy like the Lord. There is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. You know what, I love the word that he is, not only does the word of God rock, but he is the rock, amen? And we see from it that this repeated image, in the song of Moses, he's referred to as the rock. In David's song, he's referred to as the rock. In 1 Peter, he's called the chief cornerstone. And Jesus in Matthew 16 said, speaking of himself, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the word rock speaks of His strength and His stability and His steadfastness. We can depend on our God, amen? Amen. We can depend on His character. He's faithful, He's unchanging, and He's not going anywhere. Aren't you glad? Hey, by the way, if you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved? Amen? God doesn't move, we do. And we can be as close to God as we want to be. He desires that we walk in close and intimate fellowship with Him. And here she is giving the attributes of God. And it's a great way for us to begin our prayer time. It helps us focus on the greatness of God and puts in perspective how our temporal needs and struggles and how they're nothing compared to the greatness of God. Let me ask you a question. Hannah had just given her son over to Eli. And as we're going to see in a moment, Eli's not the best dad in the world with his own sons. But you know why she could do it with joy? Because she knew that God's hand was on him. She said, Lord, I'm giving him not to Eli, I'm giving him to you. And Lord, you're the rock. And there's none before you or beside you. And you're a holy and a perfect God. And I'm putting him into your hands and you are faithful. A great lesson for all of us. Verse 3. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. Again, a possible reference to the taunting of Panina, but a good warning for all of us. For the Lord His God. He is a God of knowledge, and by Him our actions are weighed. Guys, God sees and hears everything you say and do and think. And He already knows what you're going to say and do and think before you do it. Amen? And one of the biggest mistakes we can make is we can make the mistake of... Trying to hold things back from God like somehow if we don't tell Him, He doesn't know. You know, we need to be transparent with the Lord, amen? And we need to come before Him humbly and broken. You know, the reason that people like Panina get prideful, people like you and I get prideful, is because we compare ourselves to the wrong example. We compare ourselves to men when we need to be comparing ourselves to God. You compare yourselves to men, as I said on Wednesday night, you can find someone worse than you always, amen? I'm no Osama Bin Laden, right? I'm no Saddam Hussein. You know, I'm no, right? And we can always find someone worse than us. But you know what? When we compare ourselves to God, it always brings us to a place of brokenness and humility before Him. And He is the example. And He's the one who we will stand before on Judgment Day. Exalting prayer like Hannah's helps us to keep the proper perspective, to keep us humble and broken instead of prideful. The perspective we must also teach our children is to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Exalt yourself, and he will humble you. Notice the contrast in the next two verses. Look at as she prays. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren born, has born seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There are those who are in positions where, from the world's perspective, they're doing very well, and in a moment, it can all be taken away. And those who are struggling at the moment, God, in a twinkling of an eye, can bring them to a place of great blessing. Guys, we should not trust in our current position. We should not despair in the midst of difficulty. We should trust that God is faithful and in control and keep our eyes on Him. Don't be feeling good because the bows of the mighty are broken. You may be mighty at a moment and it can be broken in a second. And at the same time, those who are feeble, God can bless and nourish and strengthen like Hannah in times of brokenness and desperation, that's when God will strengthen us. Our strength and our hope is not in our position, or our riches, or our health, but in the sovereignty of our God. Now, not only is he in control of the temporal things, but look what it says here. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he brings up. Guys, the God we serve holds life and death in his hand. You're not going to have one more breath than God wants you to have, nor one less. As I said on Wednesday night, too often I hear people say, he died too young, he died too soon. No, he didn't. He died right on time. Amen? I, did, I, said, I shared this on Wednesday again. I did a funeral for a young man who was my worship leader at Calvary San Jose in the youth group. And this is a godly young man, and he died with a new wife and was, had just turned 30. And one of the pastors from another church got up and talked about how he died too young and he wasn't finished here yet. And, and I literally got up and corrected him at the funeral. I said, no, he didn't die too young. He died right on time. And he's in the presence of Almighty God right now. And he wouldn't come back here for anything. Amen? <laughs> the truth is, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And spending an extra year on this dung heap is no prize. Amen? god's desire is that we would be in his presence and guys heaven is something to be looked forward to for the christian death has no sting christians die well we don't die we just move to a much better neighborhood amen and it doesn't get any better than that and so there's a a peace in knowing that god holds life and death in his hands and we need not fret nor worry nor fear Lord, I trust you. I've also been with Christians as they've died. I've held hands of people as they went into the presence of God. And I'll tell you what, nothing's sweeter. Because you know what? They close their eyes on earth and they open them up in glory. And Christians do die well. There's a great peace when you're walking with the Lord. And He kills and He makes alive and He brings down to the grave. And He's the one who brings up. And praise God that we can put our lives in His hands. Verse 7, as she continues to pray, The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. Our eternal perspective must go beyond our length of life to the way we live it day to day. Just as He can rescue us from death or permit us to die, He can make us rich or He can make us poor. He can make you famous or He can make you unknown. He can make you exalted or make you abased. But here's the point. He knows what is best and we are to be faithful and diligent and trust that God knows what He's doing. Now let me say this. Your circumstances can be difficult for two different reasons. One, because as you walk in obedience, trials come. But they can also be bad because you're walking in disobedience to God. Now that is not God's will. God's will is that you get right with Him. Amen? So you might say, well man, God's put me through it. No, you're putting you through it. Amen? (laughs) When you walk away from God and you choose to do things your own way and now the consequences of your sin come, that's not God's fault, that's yours. At the same time, you may be walking in the center of God's will and trials were come. God is bringing those that He might be glorified and again, that you might be conformed more into His image. Again, great riches most often will take men's eyes off of God. As we saw last time, the love of money can be the root of all evil and only those who truly know Christ are really rich. And so we need to have an eternal perspective when it comes to the temporal things of this life and say, God, whatever you need to do, Whatever you need to do, Lord, to help me walk in the center of your will, take it all away, praise God. Give me more that I might give to others, praise God. Though you slay me, yet will I trust in you, Lord. Whatever you decide, I trust that you know better than me. Aren't you glad God's in control of your life, not you? Aren't you glad that he's such a faithful and a loving God? I need to pick up the pace here. It says here in verse 8, He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of God. You know what? Whatever position God places you in, He's put you there for a reason and He wants to use it for His glory. He didn't put you in that position for your glory, but for His glory. So if you take the position you're in to bring glory unto yourself, can I tell you, Pastor Dave, one of the things I struggle with the most are athletes who are all about themselves. Do they make you sick or what? And you'll get a guy on there who God gave him the ability and God gifted him, and then he catches a three-yard pass and gets up and beats on his chest and you know, goes like this and points to himself and says, how great am I? I'm like, dude, you just caught a ball. God created you. And you're a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. I need to be broken and desperate before God. Amen? And instead what happens, we think because of our position somehow we're great. Guys, no one's great but Him. And any position we're in should bring glory to His name, not to ours. And He is the one that can bring you low. He is the one that can lift you up. But whatever position you're in, let God use you for His glory right where you're at. And this is what He is doing in Hannah's life. Bringing her to a place where she can be used for God's glory. Then it says at the end of verse 8, For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and He set the world upon them. You know, I love this. God holds the world in His hands. He holds it in His hands. If He let go for a nanosecond, it'd be game over. Amen? I just love how scientists think they're so smart. We just found another star, and you know, oh, good for you, that's great. But here's the point. You know, He spoke and put them all up there, amen? Amen? And he holds that whole universe in the span of his hand. And I love when they keep finding how much further the universe goes because it just increases the greatness of our God yet again. Amen? And he is so great and so powerful and he holds it all into his hands. And you know what? As she's praying, doesn't that put perspective to the trials of life? Our God holds it all in his hands. He's a faithful God. He's in control. Look what it says. He will guard the feet of his saints. But the wicked shall be silent in darkness. Aren't you glad that as you walk around a day-to-day life, you're not walking alone? The God's opened your eyes to the truth, that He leads and guides and directs your steps, if you will but let Him. And then, but if we don't know God, we're walking in darkness. It says, for, for by strength no man shall prevail. The Bible says, Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. You're not going to prevail because you're stronger or smarter or better. The prevailing will come when we are desperate for God verse 10 the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces from heaven he will thunder against them the Lord will judge the ends of the earth the adversaries of the Lord will be broken this is an eternal perspective that reminds us we will all be accountable before almighty God one day it's not enough to believe that he has power we must know that he will use it one day And the key is not temporal comfort, but eternal glory. And we need to raise our kids with an eternal perspective of what riches really are. I've said this before, I'll say it again. Buddha is going to bow to Jesus. Muhammad will bow to Jesus. Charles Taze Russell, who founded, uh, and and Mary Baker Eddy, and all these who founded the cults, Joseph Smith. Well, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He alone is Lord. He alone is God. And He alone will judge the earth. And guys, that's our Savior. He's our best friend. He holds the world in His hands. Hannah is praying. Can you see now how she has such a great perspective? And she's willing and able to take her little son and put him into Eli's hands because she knows that God is in control and that God is faithful. And you know what? As we pray, may our faith increase. Throughout Scripture, we see how God speaks mightily through those who are, have poured their souls out in fervent prayer. People like Daniel and Ezekiel and Elijah and Hannah, through this fervent time with the Lord, became a woman who was willing to give her all to God, but also a woman that God revealed great things to. Look what it says in the rest of the verse. He will give strength to His King, and He shall exalt the horn of His anointed this is prophetic. The word anointed there is Messiah or Christ. He will anoint his Christ. So now she's talked about, she's used Yeshua and Messiah or Christ in her prayer. Remember, this is hundreds of years before Christ came to earth. This is prophetic truth coming out of a woman whose heart is knit to God's. This is what happens when we're pouring out in prayer. There's intimacy and there's fellowship with the Lord, and He can speak not only to us, but through us. And through her came these prophetic utterances. Verse 11 Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. The child ministered to the Lord before Eli. What an incredible act of faith that they left their young son with this man whose own sons were walking in wit- wickedness. The word there, ministered, means served. He had been raised in a godly home, and even as a little boy, he comes in and he's ministering to the Lord. And this tells us that our little children can minister to God at a very young age. Amen? Amen. I shared on Wednesday, I was watching videos of my kids when they were two and three years old, sing praise songs. I was undone. You know, that's, a, that's precious to our God. Amen? Let the little children come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Little Samuel comes in. He's a godly little boy whose life is set apart unto God. And as he walks into that place, I believe the most godly person in the tabernacle was this little boy. And God's going to use him in a mighty, in a powerful way. And so too can God use our children for the Lord. And you know what I think? One of the greatest impacts on our kids takes place is when they learn to worship God. Here's Samuel worshiping before the Lord with his family. And one of the greatest things I see when our kids come back from high school camp is their passion to to worship and they worship without, with reckless abandon, not worried about anybody else around them. And sadly, often over time, they get back to school and they start worried about what other people think. And before you know it, they're just too cool to worship. We need not be too cool to worship. Amen? Amen. And you know what? Your voice, it'll be a joyful sound unto the Lord, even if it's not to the person standing next to you. Amen? <laughs> it is a joyful sound unto the Lord. Don't worry about it. Worship God. Here's this little boy who's worshiping. They bring him in and God's going to use him in a mighty, and a powerful way. So number one, raising godly kids in an ungodly world. Be a praying parent. Parent them with an eternal perspective. Number two, teach your kids the true meaning of success. Look at verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. Now, this is amazing, because the word corrupt there means sons of Belial or sons of the devil. Now, these were the sons of the high priest. So the rap on pastor's kids didn't start 100 years ago. Here these guys are being raised in the tabernacle. Being raised around the ministry, sons of the high priest, grew up hanging around the tabernacle, were actually involved in the ministry, in line to be the high priest, and yet they did not know God. This should be a warning to every one of us that just because your kids are growing up in a Christian home does not make them Christians. Amen? God has no grandchildren, and we need to love our kids enough to come before them and make sure they understand and they've grasped what it means to have a relationship with God. We need to love them enough to to ask them those questions, to bring them to a place where they can learn and know of God. And as I said many times before, the number one place your kids should be learning about the Lord is from you. Again, Sunday and Wednesday is gravy. It all ought to be happening in your house. And dads, God's called you to be the spiritual leader. Eli was coming before the Lord on behalf of the people, and yet his sons were lost in rebellion and did not know the Lord. This, to me, again, is a picture of how a pastor sometimes can be so involved in ministering to others that he doesn't minister to his own children. We need to make sure we're not so busy ministering to others that we don't minister to our first ministry first, which is our children. You know what? I'm a big believer in vacations. I'm a big believer in, I'll take time away to, I don't miss my kids' games. Show up for everything. I want to be an active part of every aspect of their lives. It's never a have to, it's a get to to spend time with my kids. They're not bothering me. It's a blessing, amen? And they're your first ministry. Don't be so uh, caught up in what you're doing, you don't have time to minister to your kids. It's a butt of vapor and they're out of your house, amen? You're going to blink and they're going to be out of there. And sadly, his own children are not walking with God, and he's serving as high priest. Now look at some of the things they did. And the priest's customs with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all of the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all of Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the men who sacrificed, Give meat for roasting to the priest, for he, he will not have taken boiled meat but, from you but raw. And if the man said, They shall really burn the fat first, then you shall make, you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, No, but you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Here's what's happening. Hophni and Phinehas, that's their names, we'll learn it later, have turned God's house into a den of thieves. God had a specific plan back in Leviticus for what went to the priest. The priest was provided for through the sacrifice. Through some of the sacrifices, they would receive a portion. But what they're doing now, instead of giving the the portion they're supposed to be given, what they're doing is now they've got this, this thing where they take a hook and they just swipe it through. Whatever comes up is theirs. Nowhere do you see that in Scripture. And then on top of that, because they're not going to be able to eat everything that day, they started saying, well, give me some of the raw meat because then I could turn around and sell some of it. They were taking and turning the sacrifice into something for their own personal gain. These were young men who did not have an eternal perspective, but a temporal one. These were men who did not know God and they were acting like it. And they have the same ideas of success as much of the world. Accumulate material wealth with no thought for eternal consequences. And this is why, why do we sin? Because we think about the immediate gratification and not the long-term consequences. Is that true or not? And we say, well, I want it right now and it's going to cost me later, but I don't care. This is the life that Hophni and Phinehas were living And they were taking from God's people. And not only were they taking and acting outside of God's will, but they were stumbling God's people. Look at the next verse. It says, Therefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. You know what happens? They got to the place where their actions caused people not to even want to offer anything to God anymore. You think that's happening in the world today? people find out about another televangelist or some other ministry where they've been fleecing people and taking the money and using it in ungodly ways. And some people throw up their hands and say, I'm never giving again. Why? Because of the ungodly actions of ungodly men. And what is happening here is people got to the point where they didn't even want to go up and make sacrifice anymore because they knew when they got there they were going to get ripped off. They were going to get fleeced. This is so horrific. This is so tragic. Now, here's the truth. These guys, from the world's perspective, would look pretty successful. They had a lot of You think they might have some stuff? Every time people came, they were taking more than their portion. They were taking some of the raw meat to sell. And, guys, we need to make sure that we don't make the mistake of viewing success from worldly standards. I've heard Christians say, well, man, he's doing really well. You know, you ask, how's so-and-so? Oh, doing really well. Got a new job, got a promotion, just brought a big house. Well, he's not walking with the Lord. But other than that, he's doing really well. If he's not walking with the Lord, he's doing awful. Amen? Better to be a ditch-digger loving Jesus than to be the richest man in the world who doesn't know God. Amen? If you dig ditches, I do not mean to offend you. Amen? The point is that it's better to do the most menial thing on this planet and have a relationship with God. Success needs to be viewed as godly character, not worldly wealth. And these guys from the world's perspective would look very successful. But we know that from God's perspective, they were very ungodly. And that's, God's perspective is the only one that matters. So raising godly kids in an ungodly world, be a praying parent and teach them the true meaning of Success. Not worldly possessions, but godly character. Number three, keep rededicating them to the Lord. It says, but Samuel, and I love that, but Samuel. Okay, you got the ungodly Hophni and Phinehas, but Samuel. Samuel is the opposite of these knuckleheads, amen? (laughs) But Samuel ministered before the Lord. As bad as Eli's sons were, Samuel was different. Even as he grew up with the same influences around him, with Eli's wicked sons around him, stealing from the Lord, Samuel, in the middle of all of it, ministered before the Lord. He faithfully ministered in the midst of rebellion. That's not an excuse for us to live ungodly lives because the people around us are living ungodly lives. Amen? It doesn't matter if everyone around you is, is outside of God's will. You still need to serve God and seek Him and be salt and light in that place. Amen? God has you there for a reason, even as a child wearing a linen ephod. He was serving better as a child than Hophni and Phinehas were as grown men, and the linen ephod means that he was wearing a priestly garment and was serving the Lord even as a child. Verse 19, moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year. When she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Now every time I read this, this grips me. Because this means once a year, Hannah got to go see her little boy. Can you imagine as the weeks led up to that? And each time she made him a robe. Some even believe she was making his priestly robe. I don't know for sure. But she's making a robe for him. And no doubt wondering, I wonder how much he's grown. I wonder what size I should make it. And then as she walked up to see him, can you imagine the anticipation? And then when she finally saw her little son, can you imagine the tears that must have flown from her eyes? But then she went up and gave him that little robe. And no doubt, there's at least a part of her, and praise God that she didn't, that would have wanted to take him home. Especially seeing Eli's son serving in wickedness all around him. But praise God that she never stopped seeking God's highest for her child, but almost year by year rededicating him to the Lord as each year she would go up at the time of sacrifice and she would give him another robe and she would leave him yet again in the hands of Levi and go away and pray for her little boy. What an example for us that we need to keep rededicating and and giving our children to the Lord day by day. I encourage you to do it every year on their birthday. I do that with my kids. My kids don't even know it. I just pray for them. Take some time and pray for them. But we ought to do it every day. Lord, these children are yours. We dedicate their lives to you. It says that Eli would bless, verse 20, Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from his, this woman for the loan that he has given, was given to the Lord. Then they would go to their own home. Now watch this. And the Lord visited Hannah so she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. You know what? You can't out-give God. Amen? Now I'm not talking about wealth and prosperity doctrine, alright? I'm not talking about you manipulating God by giving Him some money so He'll give you more back. This is not a Holy Spirit investment program, amen? What I'm talking about is, as you give your life to God, He's only going to bless you greater than anything you could ever give to Him. And she gave her one and only son and God gave her five back. What a great and awesome God we serve, amen? But He brought her to the place of desperation first where she could give her son up and then God would turn around and bless her and give her even more in return. And look what it says. God gave her more children. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. God is such a faithful God. As Samuel is growing in the Lord and her family continues to grow. So raising godly kids in an ungodly world. Be a praying parent. Teach your kids the true meaning of success. Keep rededicating them to the Lord. Now notice this one. Follow up your words with actions. Verse 22. Now Eli was very old and he heard everything his sons did in all Israel. And how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. What? Now Eli was in his 90s. And word comes back that not only are his boys stealing, but they're sleeping with the women who come up to make sacrifice. They're turning the tabernacle into a den of thieves and a place of sexual immorality. It is only by the forbearance and grace of God these guys have not been struck down dead already. And here in the midst of the tabernacle, Eli is the high priest. So he's not only their father, but in a sense he's their boss. And he's got some priests serving in the tabernacle, sleeping with women and stealing from the people. Eli, I know you're old, but you're not dead. Amen? And Eli, this is not acceptable behavior. He lost control of his family, his first ministry. In First Timothy, it says, One who rules in his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule in his own house, how can he rule in the church of God? These guys are sleeping with women near the Holy of Holies. There is no fear of God. And this is the problem in the world today. We need to teach our kids to have a fear of God. Amen? The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. People curse God and mock God, and we act like it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal. Hey, I personally struggle. I cannot go see a movie and spend God's money to listen to them curse His name. I can't do it. I'm not trying to bring conviction to you, though you should be convicted. Amen? Here's the point. We need to fear God. Have reverence for Him. Amen? There's no fear of God amongst these boys. And as a father, he needs to be stepping up and and to be delivering to them some godly discipline. Driving people away from the temple. Eli knew all they were doing. So how does he respond? Now it looks pretty good, but look what it says. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil doings from all the people. No, my sons. That sounds pretty good, right? For it is not good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Now, these are godly words. And I will say praise God for the godly words. But you know what? One of the worst things we can do sometimes is just talk. We need to follow up our godly words with godly actions, amen? These boys needed a whooping, and I don't care if they were 50, amen? And they needed to be kicked out of the ministry, amen? You walk in and your system pastors are sleeping with the women at church while they're stealing out of the offering. I'm thinking fired, amen? Fired and in jail, And here's what we see is him going, well, you shouldn't do it. And again, godly words, but godly words must be followed up with godly actions. Guys, we must, in raising godly kids, we must do more than talk the talk. We must walk the walk. Amen? We must follow up our godly counsel to our children with godly actions. He just spoke, but he didn't do anything. Disobedience and rebellion must be met with the appropriate consequences. Don't he didn't love them enough to discipline them, and the result was that he, they didn't heed his voice. Look what it says. Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. Now, if the Lord desires to kill you, that's not good. You don't want that. You don't want your name and the Lord desires to kill him. That's not good. Now, why does the Lord desire to kill them? Why? Because they're walking in complete and total rebellion. And one of the reasons it continues on is Eli is not stepping up, but he's compromising. And we'll see this later. I know we've got to finish up here. I don't want to go the same as I did on Wednesday. I heard the same thing Wednesday. We're going to keep going. Now, look what it says here. And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with Lord and men. What a contrast. The Lord wants to kill Hophni and Phinehas, and Samuel's growing in the Lord. This is night and day, but guys, guess what? Those are really the only two places we can be. Growing in the Lord or an enemy of of Him. We're either a friend of God and walking with Him, or we don't know God and we're enemies of Him. Amen? Well, that's too black and white. I'm glad that our God is black and white. Now look at what the priest should have been doing. Look what it says in verse 27. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when, when they were in Egypt, in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer up my, to my altar, to burn incense, to wear the ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? You know what? Here's what's happening. We need to warn our children against the high cost of rebellion because God had given them an incredible blessing and God had allowed them to intercede on behalf of the people. They were to be the priest to represent the, to, the people to the Lord and the Lord to the people. They were to offer the sacrifice that pointed to the cross. They were to burn incense, which is a picture of prayer. They were to wear the, the priestly clothing, which represents the glory of our God. And all their offerings were to be brought before the Lord and to, again, on behalf of the people, interceding on their behalf, a picture of Christ. What an incredible gifting and calling and blessing. But sadly, because of their rebellion, they had missed out on it completely. Look at what it says there in verse 29. Why? this? He's talking. This man of God, anonymous man of God, we don't know who it is. Look what he says. We may finish here. Look what he says to Eli. Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me. Lest you think that I was being too harsh on him when he gave good words and didn't follow it up with actions, here's what the man of God says to Eli. He says to him, you've honored your sons more than me. Guys, we need to make sure that we love our kids, but that we love God more, and in loving God more, that we discipline our kids in a godly way. The Bible says a man who doesn't discipline his child hates him right? Those who the Lord loves, He disciplines. And when we allow our kids to live in rebellion against God, we allow them to continue on their sinful behavior, and we don't bring godly reproof and instruction into their lives, and we don't even bring a SWAT when necessary. I'll get in trouble for that later, right? The ACLU or somebody, when this is on the radio. But here's the point. God gave them a nice fatty area right around here. It's alright. Amen? We had a board in my house my kids will said The board of education printed right out on it. And you know what? A little force at the rear end, good stuff. Why? Because our heart is not to bring harm to our children, but it's better to get their attention and get their eyes back on God. To realize that sin has consequences before God desires to kill them. Amen? To bring them in right fellowship, to walk with the Lord. There is a high cost of rebellion. Let me just read the rest of the text. To make themselves... Make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut, you, cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house so that you will not, there will not be an old man in your house. You know what? The high cost of rebellion... Is that Eli's line was going to be cut off from the priesthood. Verse 32: And you shall see an enemy in my dwelling place, despite all the good which God has done for Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The tabernacle would be overrun for, by the enemy, and Eli's descendants would not dwell long. Why? Because they rebelled against God. Rebellion against God has heavy consequences. But any of your men who I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. What's going to happen? All of his descendants were going to die at a young age. Why? Because he did not obey God. Rebellion comes with a high consequence. Look at verse 34. Now this shall be a sign to you, that will come upon your sons, on Hophni and Phinehas, in one day they shall die, both of them. You didn't discipline your kids. You didn't raise them in a godly way. You honored them above the Lord, and now the consequences are extremely heavy. Some of the other consequences would not take place till after Eli was dead, but he's going to see both of his sons die. And he's going to see the Philistines overrun the tabernacle and take the ark away before he dies. And all of it because he would not be a godly father, but was both compromising and complacent in raising them in a godly way. Last few verses. Then I will raise for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before my anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, please, Put it in one of my priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. This will be fulfilled by Samuel, later by Zadok the priest, but ultimately this will be fulfilled by Jesus. Because you know what? Worldly priests will never get it done. It all points to our heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, in closing, raising godly kids in an ungodly world. I know I went to the last portion quick. But be a a praying parent. Parent them from an eternal perspective. Number two, teach your kids the true meaning of success. It's godly character and faithful obedience to the word word of God, not the accumulation of worldly possessions. Number three, keep rededicating them to the Lord. You can't outgive God. You know there's no better place for your kids than in the hands of the Lord. Amen. No better place. Number four, follow up your actions or your words with actions. Love your kids enough to discipline them. And number five, warn your children of the high cost of rebellion. That God's righteous judgment is both sure and unending. It will impact us both now and in eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the blessing of being parents. Lord, even for those of us who may not have children, Lord, I pray we would learn from these examples of walking in holiness and obedience before you. But Lord, those of us who have children, I pray, you would reignite a fire in us, whether our kids are old and grown or they're newborn babies in our laps. Father, to raise them in a godly way. Lord, to esteem you high in our homes. I pray for the men here, they would be the spiritual leaders in their households, raising their kids to love and serve and honor you. Lord, may we love them enough to discipline them in a godly way. May we love them enough to never put them before you but to always put You before them. Lord, we know that You're a faithful God. Lord, may we be, we be broken before You and put our children into Your hands. May we rededicate them day by day. Lord, knowing that only as You move in their lives will You be glorified in their lives and will their lives bear fruit. So, Father, we love You. We praise You. We worship You. We thank You that You let us raise Your kids. Because, Lord, they're Yours. We ask these things in Your holy and Your precious name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. Let's stand and close the worship.